As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, it's my good friend Nate Tyson. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. I'm looking at myself on camera and trying to figure out why I am, oh, oh brother, where art thou? Or in Mexico in traffic, or you know, in the movie traffic, <laughs> in a Soderbergh some, movie of some kind, lit, yeah. lit in yellow. Yeah, I don't know what's happening with my shade right now, and I just can't stop staring at it. But I'm doing very well. I'm doing excellent. I uh, yeah, just uh, just another day. My family's in town. I'm going to F1 this weekend here in it's Las exciting. Vegas. Exciting, very exciting. Yeah, stumbled on the tickets. I'm pretty fired up. Uh, yeah, but it's gonna be late. So Sunday is uh, it starts at ten local time. So uh, yeah, Sunday Sunday's gonna be interesting. I'll be on a lot of coffee on Sunday for that live show. But I'm doing well. Now, I'm really hoping. What's great about Vegas? I mean, you get this in Chicago, but not so much from Minneapolis. I wasn't really getting this. It's like you just get a lot of stuff here. Yeah. Like just a lot of stuff. You know, so like the in-season tournament is here in Vegas The in the NBA, the semis and the finals. The Wolves are 2-0 and in it. I'm keeping an eye on that in-season tournament. I might be able to see my Timberwolves <laughs> here in Las Vegas. So doing excellent. <laughs> uh, we uh, It's Thanksgiving, pre-Thanksgiving weekend. So we're having friends over on Saturday. So I'm making okay. dinner for like, a dozen people, which I'm looking What's forward to, but I'm a little stressed about. I'm making the turkey, and then I'm doing all the starchy sides. So I'm doing mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, <laughs> yeah. sweet potato casserole, and stuffing. And then other people are bringing salads oh, and it? dips and stuff. What else can people bring? I, when I have <laughs> people, when we're hosting people, I don't want to make people bring stuff. It's know, just antithetical like to hosting, in my opinion. Yep. And my I wife agree. gives me so much shit about it because she's like, you're so stressed out as you're trying to cook everything. I'm like, well, I don't want to invite people over and be like, you got to bring this. You got to bring this. Yeah. I like salads, desserts, maybe a dip. That's fine with me. But for the most part, if I'm having people at our house, I want to be the one that's treating them. It's, I, I want to show the them Italian, hospitality. Yeah. Oh, it's my mother. I just yeah, This is totally. the biggest attribute that I share with my mother. It's just her incarnate. But we just finished our house. We just like redid our kitchen. We just redid the living room. Yes. So it's all done. So I want, we wanted to have people over, and I just I can't have it. people over in any other way. I have to be the one that does it. No, I get it. I, everyone always asks me. when the, I, I like to host as well. My entire family is the same way. 
And <clears throat> when they come over, everyone's like, oh, what can I bring? Can we bring food? Or, no, we're ordering something or we're making something. Uh, can we bring like drinks? No, no, no. Ice. Just always just bring ice. That's like, that's it. That's all I need. Just bring ice. I will buy everything else or make everything else or order everything else. I, I have the same viewpoints on hosting. It's I, it's all or nothing kind of thing for me. My only thing is now it's actually too warm in Chicago for me to just brine the turkey overnight in a cooler because it's too hot. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do with the ice to keep the turkey cold in a water bath for 24 hours. But it's all right. I'm going to MacGyver it. I'm fine. I figured out a a method, but we'll make do more going into it this year. Thank you. Climate change. All right. We got a lot of stuff to dig into this week here in Vegas. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Chase was saying yesterday in San Diego, it was like the apocalypse out there. So, you know, we're all we're all dealing with our own problems. We got a lot of stuff to dig into this week, along with our week 11 preview, some pretty big news items. We're going to get to the Sean Watson injury here in a little bit, but I wanted to start with the Buffalo Bills and everything that has happened with them over the last few days or so. We've talked about this on pretty much every single show that we've done, and I want to talk about the Ken Dorsey aspect of this, but I don't want to just talk about that. I want to take this a little bit wider and just consider not only where the Bills are right now, but where what this all means for their future, what this year sitting at five and five, 10 weeks in means for this Bills team as we have come to understand it under this regime. So first things first, you and I have not talked about this at all. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the Bills decision making from your perspective here over the last few days. Uh, you When you fire the defensive coordinator and you are the play caller and you've already have fired a special teams coach. There's only one last last assistant, high level assistant that you can fire, you know, when you have a loss like that. So to me, it seems like a great case of scapegoatitis. Uh and th- which is we get it. This is an all or nothing season for the Bills. This is it. This is the last hurrah of this team, it feels like this configuration of the team. I, I actually have been thinking about this. We always talk about it's like, wow, it's really cool with, you know, the Brady Patriots and now the Mahomes Chiefs and we see these teams, they reconfigured themselves and there's new cast of characters and sometimes it's the opposite where it's that quarterback that's there for a while and then it's the cast of characters because they keep ending up short. And I'm thinking like Rivers with the Chargers, yeah. you know, a little bit. It's like different guys. You know, Antonio Gates was always there, it seemed like, but others were just moving around to different guys. But this Bills team, it really felt like to me that Ken Dorsey did all the things I wanted to see from this Bills offense. And I think that it's just hard to just explain to people that, hey, turnovers suck and sometimes could be random. But that's what it's that's the negatives I've seen from this team because all the other things, the process that I've seen under Ken Dorsey has been some of the better process I thought of amongst play callers. Explain some of that. What what are some of the criticisms that you have seen over the last few days that people trying to give credence to this move that you disagree with because you feel like the process and how they've tried to seek out answers has actually been pretty sound? I, I think one of them is that people have said he's predictable. Uh, this offense has been become very uh, almost simple and, and to a fault or that they repeat calls or anything like that, which I disagree with. And I think that why I disagree with is how people have compared it to the previous Dable uh, offense coordinator regime, because that was predictable and that was simple. And that's something they had to overcome, especially in 2021. And I remember vividly in 2021 what they did in the second half of that year, and specifically that Bucks game and how they kind of had – they went through some things. They figured some things out to kind of get over the hump, especially with their RPOs. And that, that's what I just remember offhand. But I thought Dorsey took a lot of those lessons and tried to implement them and try to go, hey, we're not going to hit that rut. We're going to go under center and run the ball. We're going to run play action 
off of those looks and tie it together. We're going to use a little bit of different personnel, but we can heat up and go into now what what I've been calling their, their death lineup. We can lean into that and go tempo as well. I thought all the different avenues and answers was there might be some frustrations during the season, even though they're top five in every freaking category you look at, is that this was to build to the playoffs. This was to build to when they play a top tier defense that's giving them a hard answer. Hey, we can do this now. We can do this now. We can do this now and do it well. So I liked the process and I thought it was all sound. Nothing was gimmicky with this offense. I thought the run game, they found different answers there. They found a run game. They found consistency and reliability in the run game for one of the first times. It's just with Latavius Murray and like, you know, like, Listen, Latavius Murray, I love Latavius, but it's just with Latavius Murray as being a super efficient back, they have just, they found under under center run game, shotgun run game. They use this tackle pull play all the time. They're the only ones that do it. It works every time for him, basically. I've only seen it really not work for him once just offhand again. But I just think, again, that it's like all these criticisms have seen unfounded to me and more narrative driven than I think ever process or even results at times driven outside of just turnovers suck when Dalton Kincaid's doing a cartwheel in the red zone and loses the ball or, you know, James Cook just fumbles the first play of the game. Like that, like, what do you want? What do you want? Like, what do you want the offense coordinator, Ken Dorsey to do? Do you want him to run like Oklahoma drill? Like what, you know, these guys are professionals and they got to perform too. The players have to perform. And that's what I just always frustrated me because I thought they were set up to execute and sometimes they kind of let them down. Looking at all of the numbers, even over the last four or five weeks, so let's throw out the first half of the season. Let's talk about a stretch where they've been struggling a little bit. Tenth in points per drive, ninth in EPA per drive, sixth in yards per drive, eighth in plays per drive, dead last in turnovers per drive. 22% of their drives have ended in a turnover. The bad kind of dead last. The bad kind of dead last. They are dead last in the league in that metric, okay? They are number one. Play in and play out in success rate over the last five weeks. Number one in the NFL. Let's go to the defense. The defense over that same stretch ranks 18th in success rate. The defense ranks 30th in scores allowed per drive. They are 31st in the turnovers they create per drive. So they've been turning the ball over more than anyone else and getting turnovers less than almost anybody else. So the numbers do not bear out a job that an offensive coordinator has been doing that deserves to get him fired. That has been parroted by every single person in the football media on in the internet over the last 72 hours. The one thing I can say that we don't know all the details of, we don't know all the dynamics of, sometimes you need to shake things up from a messaging leadership perspective. And what you're saying about guys maybe underperforming, we've seen some lackluster games from Stephon Diggs had one of the worst games of his season against the yeah. Bron- against the Broncos on Monday night. He got sertaned. He got he got sertaned <laughs> a little bit. And even yeah. I, I also think that just effort wise, there's been some stuff on the offense where it's like, eh, like I just want a little bit more right now. And that's yeah. the type of stuff we don't know. But down in and down out, design, structure, even like sequencing, the way the offense is built. I don't see a ton of issues with it. The Josh Allen turnover side of this, I also think is a little bit overstated. He has not been forcing the ball that often this year. Some of his turnovers are third and 20 throwaways. He's forced a couple throws over the last few weeks, but I think this is a lot of bad bounces of the ball more than it's bad process. Again, though, we don't know what's going on in the building. 
and whether or not there's something underlying there that makes a change worthwhile because they just need a spark. They need a little bit of something different. If that's the case, okay. Then I understand right. it a little bit more, but the process and results of what's being put on the field right now in terms of the steps being taken, I don't think justify moving on from an offensive coordinator at this stage. Right. I think that's a great point about, yeah, you never know how all the interactions are. It's not only just like players and coaches, it's coaches and coaches, and it's certain players and certain coaches. Like you don't know how those communications go. Players to players as well. I think some of, I also just, I, I think a lot of my frustrations because this is how I kind of view the game anyways, is going to come a lot from like a schematic standpoint. And I think that's why I was, I've, I've watched the Bills a ton, guys. I got to just do because I enjoy watching Josh Allen. It's, it's, that's, you want to know why I watch the Bills? I like watching Josh Allen. I like watching really good quarterbacks. Uh, and watching a lot of their stuff. And I would see people just throwing stuff at the wall. Like they need to run more play action. It's like they're, they already do. Like, and they're good at it. Uh, they need to, uh, pound the rock to James Cook a little bit more. Okay. When they do, it works. And they do it just enough and they do certain runs with them because he only handles those certain runs because, you know, they're all the criticisms. I just was like, they already answered that. And that's why I would just get so frustrated. I think even I, I think some of the stuff is like, oh, they run too much mirrored side reads, which is the same stuff, mirrored reads or uh, uh, pick a side reads. And I just don't think that either. I think that is just the staple of this offense and that has answers to different coverages. So. Okay, everyone does it. <laughs> like we also I, I don't do, know uh, how much of that is what Josh Allen wants to do. Wants and how much the coordinators call it. Correct. Ken Dorsey even, was Josh Allen's choice for who he wanted to be the offensive coordinator right. of this team. Ken Dorsey wouldn't be the offensive coordinator if it weren't for Josh Allen. I assume that they were building a lot of this out of his preferences and what makes him comfortable. Maybe yeah. to their own that's detriment. The and maybe that's something where they feel like they could reel him in a little bit more and try to maintain the comfort while also not giving him as much free reign within the offense. This is all speculation because yeah. I'm trying to grasp at straws for why they why? feel like they need to do this outside of somebody's head just needs to roll. And, and that's why I just keep pounding away at the process button because it's just – I when I watch this and it's like what you're saying, it's like, okay, they put, maybe put too much in Josh's hands. I haven't seen that be the detriment. Other than him, you know, forcing throws, but he does that, that he's pushing the ball. He is always in attack mode, but he hasn't hindered the team that much because he creates five, seven for every one bad one. <laughs> that's, that's how you win football games, guys. That's what you need, at the, especially when you have adequate, mediocre surrounding talent. He's been overall. playing some of the best football of his entire career Ever. this season. The, the game accurate, he had against the Broncos is the worst game he had this year outside of the Jets game in week one. Every single game in between that, he played pretty damn well. And what's the what's the parallels between or, uh Why are those two games similar? Did they both happen at night yeah. with a lot of eyeballs on them? Uh, he's been the most sound, the best processing I've ever seen him, most accurate I've ever seen him. It's like, that's why he was my halfway point MVP. And it's just, that's why I just think this is such a frustrating decision. Like even, sorry. The Gabe Davis and off the ball off Gabe Davis's hands that ended up getting intercepted is like the epitome of why I'm frustrated. That's a concept. That's a cross progression read that people are saying that they want out of this out of this offense. It goes off Gabe Davis's hands, who I think is overrated because of some huge games that he's had, but he's still a fine player. But he's more like an MVS than like a true blue high end number two that I think some people think he is. He's more of a number three, and the ball goes off his hands. Into the air, ends up interception in the red zone after they've been driving the entire like that entire drive. So it's it's all the frustrations in one play, <laughs> just right then and there. And I think that's just where we're at with this offense and why they made that move, even if I just don't think it's founded. And Gabe Davis is a good person to mention because this is a discussion yeah. we've had about the Bills before. If you look at the way that they've drafted over the last few years, there are not that many home runs. There there just aren't. 
there are a lot of guys drafted in the second, third round that are either off the roster or are not contributors to this team. Cody Ford in 2019. Devin Singletary is no longer on the roster. Zach Moss in his third rounder in 2020, no longer mm-hmm. on the roster. AJ Epinesis had a really nice season, but he did not produce to this level for the first few years of his career. Greg Rousseau has not taken the step that we thought he would. Get Boogie Basham was a second-round pick in 2021. He's no longer on the roster. Kyrie Elam was their first-round pick. They traded up for in 2022. He yeah. can't even get on the field. They're trading for Rasul Douglas at the trade deadline. James Cook yeah. has been a nice player for them, but them nice. seeking out that sort of skill set with a 64th pick in the draft, that's not a home run in terms of how it changes the complexion of your team. So I feel like we're, we're having similar conversations about the, the roster in general. They're good. Like they have a lot of yeah. solid players. They don't have a lot of obvious holes. I think the ways they've built some of this is actually pretty smart in terms of problem mm-hmm. solving, the way they handle the interior of the offensive line this year. I yes. get going out and getting Dalton Kincaid, even if I think some of the thinking behind it was misguided. You know, them yep. looking at, the James Cook thing and saying, we need that skill set within our offense and spend, spend a second round pick on it. Them looking at Dalton Kincaid and saying, look what we can do if we have two tight ends and it's kind of 11 and kind of 12. Well, teams just play nickel to it. You, you, did, you don't have any. Which we predicted. You don't, you don't have any <laughs> advantages. And so yeah. I think they've become fixated with some of these solutions that haven't become solutions. And it's put yeah. more and more onto the quarterback in some of these moments. But I don't think that's the fault necessarily of the offensive coordinator. I think all this stuff kind of comes together and creates some of the barriers that we're seeing pop up for this team. I thought what you, what you mentioned, drafting Torrance in the second round and, and bringing in McGovern and free agency, which we've liked this whole offseason, like that's actually doing something. That's building the engine and helping that out and helping really just get this thing going. And I thought all the other stuff is just like aesthetics. Like it's like the idea the the idea sounds better than actually in practice. I think that's right. With I think a lot of the stuff yeah. they have done offensively, the idea sounds better than it does in yes. practice. I like think James Cook's a perfect example of it. <laughs> defensively, I've, injuries have been the biggest thing. Yeah, you know this de- off defense was playing pretty well until you have Matt Milano, Trey White, and Daquan Jones go down at the same time. Like those three guys were really affecting games Le- for them. Now, legit all Pro Bowl players. Yes, like. Or better, <laughs> in Milano's case. The problem here is, I understand you can explain away some of the defensive struggles and everything else. We, like you mentioned, this version of the team, this era of the Bills, is potentially coming to an end. Like That's yeah. why this is so hard to stomach. When you're sitting here at 5-5 five and five and you have an uphill battle to make the playoffs with the difficult schedule that they have, Micah Hyde and Daquan Jones are free agents at the end of this season. They are 28th in adjusted uh, snap-adjusted age on defense, according to Barnwell. Poyer will be 33 next year. Von Miller will be 35. Trey White will be 29 and coming off an ACL. I think that there was a timeline, if this team stayed healthy, where this was one of the better versions of the Bills that we've seen. But now that they're not, and now that they've run into some of these turnover issues on offense, the the season itself is going up in smoke. And that is tough if you're a Bills fan. But I think it's part of this is the fact that we expect this team to be one of the best teams in the league. And they're fighting against that perception now, where they're supposed to be all cylinders firing all the Mm -hmm. time, elite at every single level. And when you get unlucky in some areas, I think the distance between that perception and the reality leads to knee-jerk decisions like the one that we just saw. This this team used to just play such complimentary football, meaning they were good on both sides of the ball, uh, and that's what helped. Even special teams, they were good at. Like I mean, they had some great kick returns last year. It, it's this team 
was built to withstand, okay, some of Allen's highs and lows because the defense would kind of always be consistent no yeah. matter what. And so that little variance, and then now he becomes a little less, you know, a high variance or lower variance, I should say. And then the defense just falls apart. So it's just kind of actually just, it's just, it's just the worst timeline for this. Like that's after that Dolphins game and really just that time period in this season, like they looked like one of the best teams in the league because they could do what they did on defense. And after those injuries happened against the Jaguars, it's like, this is, this is just the reality. Those aren't just like fine players. And it's like, okay, maybe we have a young guy slap in. Those are true needle mover defensive players that make you a very good unit. And now you're bottom six and everything. You're like a bottom tier unit that can't like just the starting field position is the stat to look at. That's the difference. Now they're getting the ball further and further and back. Allen has to be more and more perfect, which is just it's, it's just all falling apart. And that's where it just all starts with. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll have plenty more time to talk about this team and, and what they're facing here down the back half of the season. But one more bit of news that we wanted to talk about Deshaun Watson out for the year, broken bone in his throwing shoulder. He's going on injured reserve. After that game, they just won against the Ravens and them kind of positioning themselves at six and three. It seemed like this team had a real chance to kind of do some damage and make some noise in the playoffs with the way that their defense was playing. Now the entire dynamic of that changes. And again, it goes beyond what they're doing against Pittsburgh this weekend and what they're doing over the rest of this season. This now becomes a larger conversation about that move, that trade, and what it means for the Browns team building future beyond this year because now we're two years in we're two seasons into a deal where they gave up three first round picks and a fully guaranteed like 250 million dollar contract for this guy and the results have not been there for whatever reason they have not been there he's not going to be on the field for the second half of this year so that is what the browns are now facing and i think they're facing a really big uphill battle now to maintain that relevance in the afc with dtr at quarterback yeah the I kind of I looked at the whole AFC North this week for, for when I was writing and just looking at the Browns offense, it was okay, what would this look like without Deshaun Watson? It's like probably exactly the same. It's just maybe a little a few a couple flash throws out of there. And that's really the difference. Uh they this team has the turn to running the ball. They this team was the engine of this team, speaking of engines, was Nick Chubb. Yeah. That's where the drop off of this offense happened. Yes, they've had some offensive line woes and, and injuries up there, but they still play sound and they actually did a nice job last week of course when you have an offensive line coach like Callahan that, that that's exactly what you can do and people want to chalk up some of Watson's play because of injuries and I'm sure that is some of it but it does hinder some of it but I will say it's like when I watch him it's the mental side and the processing and the timing that is that has just been poor it's been below average at the very least um, to me it seems like he's guessing a lot and waiting guys waiting for guys to come open and not throwing with confidence and so, like, even some of his good throws, like he had a couple of nice throws against the Ravens. One of them, I would actually probably, if I were a coach, would have been called it a negative because he's two hitches late on it. And, of course, he overcomes it with some arm strength, and then uh, Elijah Moore runs a good route on it. But this guy's been playing comparable to Desmond Ritter this year. And, again, I know that's injuries, but the difference between that, why it's like, oh, that's good for Ritter. Oh, that's bad for Watson, is Watson is the $240 million quarterback. Yeah, and Desmond Ritter is a third-round quarterback who's had less than a full season of starts. Like that's the difference of this, and that's why I feel like he should have some criticism. Because I will say is that yes, of course there are injuries, but that side of that confidence of ripping it and reading out the game has not been there. It's been wildly inconsistent to my eyes and stuff that I've seen him do before. I just do not think he's he has seen the game well. The idea that the results that happened last Sunday 
And when he, they have that half where he goes 14 of 14, people are like, oh, that's why they made the trade. You know, look at how much better their offense is with him than it was with PJ Walker. That's the bar. Him, right. him being better than PJ Walker justifies right. giving up everything that they did for him. I understand that there's a lot of context within this number, but I want to put this number out there. Over the, this season so far, okay, he is 28th in EPA per dropback. Here are the players who are worse than him. Mac Jones, Kenny Pickett, Bryce Young, Zach Wilson, Daniel Jones. That's it. So the quarterback play over the last two years, whether it's because he's been off the field. Last year, when he was off the field, they were better. When Jacoby yeah, Brissett was playing, they were a top 10 offense. When yeah. he has been out there, the quarterback play has been bad. And this year, it has been bad when he's not been out there because of the quality of the backups. So now we are two years into them giving up all these resources. And the quarterback play has been actively bad for the most yep. part over those two years. And now this season, maybe there was a path forward with him playing at an acceptable level compared mm-hmm. to some of those other guys and the defense playing at this level. Guess what? There are no guarantees that this defense plays anything close to this moving forward. They have caught lightning in a bottle. They are playing at a level that defenses very rarely reach and defenses very rarely follow up with. You're not going to, next year's performance is not going to look like this year's performance for the most part. And you have guys getting older. So you have guys like uh, Amari Cooper, Jack Conklin, Joe Batonio, Wyatt Teller, who will all be at least 30 next year. Nick Chubb is going to be 29 and coming off knee surgery. Like the window for this team to really do a lot of damage, even if you're this is a long term play and he's the quarterback of the future and whatever nonsense has been leaked out this week, this team was built to win right now. And now mm-hmm. you're going to lose the rest of the season again. And it, it's that when he's not been on there, it's not like where it's like, man, you know, it's just been the huge needle mover for this team. No. It's been like, it's the same. It's the same. And it's a shame. This defense has given up 4.16 plays per drive this season. It's the lowest since 2000. It's like historic type stuff that you are never going to repeat ever. Second best success rate for a defense through 10 weeks since the 2005 Bears. So it's or I'm second best is 2000. The only one on top of them is the 2005 Bears. That's how good this defense is. It's a true like have the quarterback just play like Rex Grossman type defense. (laughs) Like that is how good this defense is. And he hasn't been to Rex Grossman level. And and I've given him. Like, uh, it's just as an on-field assessment, I'm watching him. And it's just, it's not clicking. And so that's what's, it's like, when is it gonna? What'd you do all offseason? You know? Like, it's, some of those hits, why he accumulates some injuries is because he's holding on to the ball and getting into the creation mode. It's like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You have to get rid of the ball. I I, I don't know. I just, it's a shame because this defense is so awesome. I should really like this team. And the the, just the offense that, could be okay because of all the run game stuff, but it's just going to be a struggle to throw. And I think it's that gonna, they are cre- they're creative in the and they're creative on offense. They're yeah. creative in the ways that they try to move the ball. All the I screens. No I, I think that they've done such a good job of manufacturing yeah. offense. And like you said, it just hasn't risen, risen to that level. And that is before you even consider the price. The contract right. is what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, everyone's looking at the cap hits this week. It's a $64 million cap hit for the next three years. They're just going to keep restructuring Push that thing forward, yep. until the time ends. So if they do it again next year and they bring down his base, which I think is something around $42 million or something, to one again, he's dealing with like a 25 ish million cap hit. That's very likely what they're going to do. Ownership has shown that they are willing to do that. The contract is navigatable just by moving money around and just paying the cash. But you can't get the draft picks back. You're right. giving, you gave up so much draft capital to go get him. 
and you're picking in the third round every single year for multiple reasons. They trade it back in the Elijah Moore deal. They trade it back to get more picks one year. But the third round picks that they've accumulated over the last few years, Anthony Schwartz, Perrion Winfrey, Cade York was a fourth round pick, David Bell, Jordan Elliott. You're not going to hit home runs for the most part in that range. Martin Emerson's been a fine player for them. Mm -hmm. But the needle you need to thread in order to find cheap players in the draft at those sorts of ranges is very, very thin. The whole argument is that by giving all of that up for a quarterback, he overcomes the need for that level of cost control talent in those areas of the roster. He's not played at that level. So unless your defense is playing at this historic pace, it's going to be really hard to be competitive with everything you've given up for this quarterback. So this year, I think, was an exception to what we would expect from the Browns or what we can expect from them moving forward if he continues to play at this clip. Yeah, he shouldn't be a passenger in this. You know, he should have been the driver. Like like you're saying, it's the what you're saying with the first round pick stuff. It's like that's what win because of. That's what these guys, that's what you're paying these guys. That's why you pay them so much is that. Hey, we're paying you the price of three players because that's how much you're worth to us. That's how many wins you're supposed to generate for us. So yeah, it's that, that is just, it's just all the negative all around. And again, it's, I think the rest of this year, it's going to be just a lot of rock fights. <laughs> it's going to, I titled this offense as, or this offense and defense is the defense can hold everyone under 20 and the offense is going to be a race to 20. So who gets there first? That's every single Browns game from here on out. Yeah. The, the move when they made it to go get him was cynical. And it was gross. Then it was an abject disaster with the way that he played over the back half of last year and at the beginning of this year. Him playing at the level he has when we've seen him on the field, maybe for the last few games, it's just a bad trade. It's just an objectively bad move now, but it still is. It's still based on the results we have seen so far, an objectively bad move, even before you consider all of the other aspects of it. Like I said, it's just on-field stuff. He, I'm comparing him. He's comparable to Desmond Ritter this year, who got benched for Taylor Heineke. Like that is where that's the level of play he's playing at. I'm, I mean that literally, statistically. And if I look at eye tests, I would say Ritter's actually reading the game better. <laughs> so that is where we're at. Before the injury news came down, we were going to talk about the Steelers Browns game as a yeah. all right. Who do you feel better about heading into the back half of the season? That discussion no longer seems quite as relevant. But I still want to ask you that question about the Steelers. With the way the Steelers have played over the last couple of weeks, how are you currently feeling about this Steelers team as they go into what is a monstrous game against the Browns for playoff positioning? Way better. Uh, I'll say that. Start off with just that. Better than I felt a few weeks ago. I will that makes say, two of us. A, yes. A couple questions that I had. They have, I feel like they have sound answers. Some, one of them is, have better players, which is great. <laughs> that's, that's what you do. The other, they copied a little bit of someone else's scheme. And that kind of cleans some stuff up on offense. Uh, I still feel not great about the passing game, but I will say that this formula that I think they're going to be doing, which is very Steelers-like, pound the rock and play good defense, fits. And I think they can get away with it, um, especially in the scrappy AFC. I think the offense or the defense, which are, had a high esteem, uh, held in high esteem, is ascending right now. They're top five in pass defense uh, since their bye week. They are kind of overall like a 12th-ish unit, 50, top half unit. Uh, I'll say, and it looks that way because they're getting a good play out of Joey Porter Jr. He's been which excellent. Is, which is a huge question mark we had for this team was outside corner, and he's been very good. So that helps. All these rookies, young players are hitting right now, it seems like. Broderick Jones at right tackle has helped out the run game. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, uh, Darnell Washington has now a little bit of inline tight end because Fryermuth has been hurt, and he's helped out the run game because, thank God, 
That's what he's drafted to do. He's 280 pounds. So let's, let's, let's run over some people on the edge. But then also they're getting some juice out of Jalen Warren. And they're also, this run game has been, I was going to say, it's like Quentin Tarantino. Is it an homage? Is it is it cribbed from? Stolen? Uh, stolen, I'll say, from the Rams. And with the four, they got their, like, their butts kicked on the ground by the Rams and the 49ers. And I'm sure Mike Tomlin, the coaches, went, hey, Matt Canada, copy this. Because they're using <laughs> Allen Robinson like 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 uh, on the Zorro runs. I brought this up on the Sunday show. But they're using him like a tight end. But they're also using him like how Puka, uh, the Rams use Puka Nakua. Yeah. Where they have him a motion and then inserting inside. That's just straight up Rams stuff that they the Rams were running against the Steelers. And they're like, oh, that's nice. Yoink. And it's it's helping. Sound, like modern run game helped out this offense. So I, I'm, I'm way more encouraged. I think the run game has sustainability, better players, a little bit better scheme. The pass game's a whole nother thing, but I, I feel so much better about this team than I did a couple of weeks ago. I feel the same way. All I wanted to see was competency on offense. And yeah. that is what we have seen over the last few weeks. They're 11th in passing success rate over the past three weeks, seventh in rushing success rate. It's a very small sample, but yeah. showing any signs of life compared to what they had done over the yeah. first two months of the season is a huge improvement. And it's little stuff. You know, the things you acknowledge about the run game, I think are exactly right. I love that there's just a tiny bit more movement and play action. Just get him outside of the pocket. Just have it be a little bit less static. It's yeah. not a ton, but they were near the bottom of the league, and now they're right in the middle of the pack over the last few weeks. That's it. And it's just little tiny upticks in this stuff. So the offense, I feel like, has found some competency that if they can maintain that, the defense has a chance to be really, really good. Joey Porter Jr. has really given them something. And what, yeah. what is so fun to watch is that they've leaned into a different style since he has come into the starting lineup. Over the past five weeks, they're playing man on 31% of early downs. Mm -hmm. Over the first five weeks, it was 18%. So they're starting to play a ton more and be more aggressive because that's how he likes to play. I've been really impressed with his... We always knew he. I think he could muscle people outside the numbers, yeah. but his movement skills when having to Way stick better. with people, I've been very impressed Dude. with. I liked him because I, I thought I, I love kind of more physical corners like a Carlton Davis or something like that. And and when I w watched him, I was like, okay, he might not be able to recover. That's like that's right. Turn and he's recovering. Like he's turning and running was faster. I, I thought maybe some smaller, speedier receivers might give him issues if he misses. I it's like, but no, he's holding right with them. He ran down Travis Etienne. It, <laughs> he's, uh, a, this is such a yeah, weird so. observation, but he looks smaller. Than like 6'2 when I watch him play yeah. because the movement skills are so good. I completely agree with it, that. It's so weird. Yeah. When I was watching him, I was like, is that him? Like it'd be just because he's moving so well in space. Yeah, way more fluid. That I just I was just like, oh, that's surprising. But I think yeah. he's given them a lot. It's allowed them to be a little bit more flexible on the back end. I will say, yeah. they need Minka back in such a bad way. So bad. <laughs> such a bad, so bad. way. Because they can just get knifed over the middle. Yes. yes that's, they just, that's yeah, the it. Packers were just that's... ripping them. And so if he oh. comes back... And now you have Joey Porter Jr. as a full-time player on the outside. You figure out what the slot looks like. Chan Sullivan hasn't been great. Is that Patrick Peterson's role full-time though? And he, it's they're still figuring that out. I yeah. think. So I think if that gets settled, we know what the pass rush is. I think the defense has a chance to be good. And I think the offense getting Deontay Johnson back has been really nice. Has, has a path. Yes, That's there is huge. absolutely a path. So I think yes. that both this Sunday against the Steelers or against the Browns and moving forward, I feel yep. considerably better about this team than I did a month ago. I totally agree. The the make of things though, like you just mentioned, the man, uh, what they were doing against the Rams because they're starting to trust Joey Porter Jr. was okay. Now we're going to do robber with Fitzpatrick, and it's like 
it's it's great. It's so it's like oh, and so once he comes back, like they oh baby they got a stew going, and Keanu Benton is a monster. Crushed it, and my eyes did not deceive me for four years watching him at Wisconsin. <laughs> that this guy's a stud. He is great, and yeah, they got a great front too. We got it's so nice to have Cam Hayward back. There oh, was so oh there they was a so in the worst way. <laughs> there was a double team in like the second quarter where there's the left guard and the left tackle for the Packers, and he just didn't move. He j- he just stood there with his two feet in the exact same spot as they tried to push him off the ball, and I was like, "Oh man, we're back, baby!" Like it is yeah. so nice to have him back, and they get Minka back, and I do yeah. think that they become a pretty interesting team. So just Agreed. something to keep an eye on. They're definitely in my mind heading in the opposite direction of where the Browns. This are This is how I felt about them in August. I is back. Like if I just give me the Men in Black, uh, you know, neuralizer, whatever it is, flash me, and don't remember the September and October. This is how I felt about the Steelers. It's the last two weeks and now. I think the Browns' defense is going to continue to keep them in games, but it yes. is going to be frustrating on offense the same way that think, it has been for most of the I think the, the total in this game is like 36 or like 34. Great. Something great. Like that. It's going to be yeah. really fun to watch. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, let's get to some more Week 11 action here. It is time for our game of the week. Chiefs and Eagles, Super Bowl rematch, two of the best teams in the NFL. On Monday Night Football, we are not going to do a Thursday recap next week because it's Thanksgiving. We are going to recap this game live on YouTube mm-hmm. after it ends on Monday night. So please come back and check that out. First thing I wanted to ask you about this game. How are these teams different in your mind than they were when we played the Super Bowl last year? Uh, the Chiefs... Defense was ascending in last year's Super Bowl, I would say. And I would say this year they have arrived. And I would say that Spagnola is back in his his real self. His real kind of like would that be his id? Like that yeah. that that's yeah, uh, yeah that he's back there. He he's not ego or super ego. It's back to the id. Uh and I would say That usually the, comes with the, negative connotations, but we'll, we'll, I know. we'll let it slide. No. But it's good. I'm using a good here. Uh, but no, it, it, uh, <laughs> that's funny, actually. Like freshman year psych class just went doo, 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 like right back into my head. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I would say the Eagles side would just be, well, shoot. Uh, I don't know. Dallas Goddard's not playing. That would be one, one, giant, one giant hole right there. But uh, I would just also say that the Chiefs run game is a huge negative and I, as opposed to a positive and what decided – and help decide last year's Super Bowl could be deciding this game, but not in the strength for the Chiefs this time. Yeah, so last year, obviously, the Chiefs could run the ball at will at times in that game. The Eagles' run defense was one of their biggest weaknesses heading into the back half of last season. That has not been the case this year. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's going to be more difficult for 
the Chiefs to lean into that sort of game plan on offense. So if they can't lean into just running the ball, because the Eagles, or excuse me, the Chiefs have been one of the worst running teams in the NFL so far this season. Where can the Chiefs try to find some answers on offense? Because it has been a struggle at times yeah. this year, and especially last time we saw them against Miami, where they just don't have that many places to turn offensively right now when teams take away Travis Kelsey. So if you're thinking about this Chiefs offense against this Eagles defense, where do you think there are some paths? It's always, and this is just a continuation when the Cowboys-Eagles game is attacking over the middle, which is uh, throwing the ball over the middle, I should say. And really, actually, some of the stuff that the Cowboys use C.D. Lamb on is the same stuff that the Chiefs use Travis Kelsey on, which is kind of fun. A lot of the shake routes and juke routes and read routes and everything over the middle. So I think first and foremost, that is. But if the Eagles had a bye along with the Chiefs, it's always the Andy Reid post-bye week stuff. So we might see some wrinkles, but it's the Eagles are going to use some of that Dolphins tape and use some of the stuff the Dolphins were doing with as far as doubles, which seems obvious, but as far as the same system and same structure that can make sense and have better kind of like, it's easier to see it yeah. <laughs> than just in theory. And it's a real thing. Like, I, I mean, that's a very real thing. It's much easier to actually see teams doing it. Um, so I would think some other teams are going to have to win or other players are going to have to win against man. So I think it might be some Rasheed Rice um, working him and working him on moving routes. I think you see a lot of that, a lot of crossing routes things to affect the linebackers and the, the spine of the Eagles defense. I also think shot plays. I think there was going to be an MVS big catch in this game. Um, I think some heavy play action going over that because you want to affect that Eagles safety tandem and make them communicate, make them make a mistake. I think those are the ways that you attack it right down the spine, but players need to step up. Again, it's theory or exactly what they do. So I'm curious what the Chiefs lean into post by and what they decide is like their best avenue as well. It feels like the Chiefs have been experimenting even more than usual over the first half yeah. of this season. And th this was the biggest question for them coming into last year. I remember talking to people there and be like, all right, what do you have to consider without Tyreek Hill? And the thought is, okay, well, it's going to be who's best on this route and how do we construct the passing game as we figure out the strengths of the players that we have. And I think this has been an even more extended experiment because, you know, Kadarius Tony's been hurt. Rasheed Rice is a rookie. They had more ready-made guys last year. And I know that's that we don't think of that as a strength, but at least we know what Juju was coming into that season. So I feel like the feeling out process has been much more extended. Now we're post by. So I feel like some of the answers we want and some hints about what the passing game is going to look like and what the roles yep. are going to look like. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the week where it really started to crystallize. And I'm very curious what it ends up looking like. Yeah, it's you're trying to read between the. Between the lines, okay, they like that. Okay, are they trying not to lean into it too much? Like they're truly rotating their receivers based on plays. It's kind of it's interesting. Not a lot of NFL teams do that. They look at the Bengals, Chase Higgins, <laughs> Boyd. You guys are out there every freaking snap. Let's go. But you watch this team, and it's like, okay, no, you're only running this route. You're only running the crosser. You're only running the out. But maybe now they experiment. And go, okay, let's try something new with that. I would also say the run game, uh, or just overall, this team just needs to be. These guys, these other players need to be reliable, not explosive. And I, I, Mahomes will create the explosives. Like, and Kelsey will create some too. They just need to be reliable. And I think that's what's a hindrance with this run game is that the interior of the offensive line is kind of taking turns messing up. Mm -hmm. I would say the guards, which is really disappointing. And that's why, again, I think a bye week might just whew, reset them a little bit. Yeah, the line but, is supposed uh, to be a strength. And against strength. Miami, it was an issue. Like, they, they were struggling up front in a ways that we don't typically see. Sure. I know the tackles haven't been great this year, but it yeah. was still more pronounced against the Dolphins than it's been so far this season. 
And I, I think that's what where I was kind of like, oh, this is curious, is that it was the guards. It, it was like Trey Smith had a couple of botches that it was the most I've seen. He'll he'll be hit and miss because he's kind of a home run hitter of an offensive guard. It's my type but of guy. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's fun. Um, but the you know, I actually thought the tackles, I thought Donovan Smith missed one um, climb because they had some miscommunication with the weight rotating box, which can happen. But I, I think they'll be better. And I, but I also just think Pacheco's vision has kind of been a hindrance. They need, they just need to be on time and on schedule in the run game. Again, reliable. So it's th- that's another thing that I'm just kind of like, they need to figure it out. They're trying to ask Kelsey to do some things. I don't know if he asked to, but it felt like in the Dolphins game, it was kind of like, he was like, I want to block. Cause they asked him like to block more than I've ever seen him block. And <laughs> it did go great, but it was kind of weird. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, why, why this game? Why is Kelsey Elson blocking like 15 times, like pulling extra, like real on the defensive end blocks? It's like, did he ask to do that? It was weird. I don't know. Um, so I don't know. I think they're just going to figure it out. I think they should just run freaking duo right down teams' throats. No more pullers, just right down four yards. Boom. Be like the Bengals. Four yards. Fine. Everyone's happy. Second to six, throw the ball again. So I, I think that's what they should lean into. I'm not going to tell Andrew what to do, but I don't know. That's that's how I see it. It was, it was The Dolphins game was so interesting on so many levels. Yeah. All the twists that gave them trouble and then the, yeah. the double stuff everywhere. It was when they were playing man coverage, they were doubling him and they were playing zone, they were bracketing him. And it, there were yeah. not a lot of other avenues to find guys that were open. And a couple of the biggest plays that they hit in that game was a leak play on the first drive to MVS. Mm-hmm. So schemed shots to somebody first that's play. not Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I think it was the first play of the game. And yeah. then they hit Noah Gray on the corner route. So yeah. plays where there was either intentional deception in the construction of the play, or they were using Travis Kelsey as a decoy first and foremost, were look some of their most explosive plays. Yeah, it's like, hey, look at me. I'm over here. Yeah. And that's fine. But it just feels like figuring out where those answers are. This is still a process yeah. for this offense. And yes. I'm curious where they land post by against this Eagles defense. On the other side of the ball, I think the Super Bowl is a little bit more applicable. We have the same general offensive staff on the Eagles side, and we have the same Steve Spagnuolo being the defensive coordinator. And the plan that they had and some of the results in that game are pretty interesting because the Chiefs played a ton of man coverage, especially on third down. It was like 60% of their third down snaps. The Eagles have been very, very good against single high coverages in the Super Bowl and so far this year. In that game, Jalen Hurts was 14 of 17 for 155 yards and like a .7 EPA against single high coverages. They <laughs> was just shredding them outside the numbers. And that's just not the way the Chiefs have played this year. They haven't given teams a lot of opportunities either in man or in some of those looks because they've played that quarter shell and they've been able to defend the run out of it. They've been able to do everything out of it. So I think there will be fewer answers to the test before the play starts for Jalen Hurts in this game. And I'm curious how that unfolds. Yep. that That's it right there. It's how the post snap looks are so much fun with the chiefs because it, it you, you brought up great, but it's just more not even just the blitzing ninja. It's the coverage ninja because it's everything just comes out. Like everything just based off that where it's, it's really hard because it's like, okay, you have a press corner. Well, they press that corner every single time to the boundary. So who cares? Yeah. Now he's blitzing. Okay. Now they, okay. They have this dime look. Okay. They, they run the same exact look every time. Well, now they're blitzing out of that. Actually, no, it's a simulated pressure where they're dropping to the field. But it all looks, okay, now the next one. Okay, yep, that's quarters. That's quarters all the way. Okay, now it's cover two. And all looks the same. And I know that's like, why doesn't every defense do it? These DBs are awesome. The Chiefs DBs are one of the most fun units in the entire NFL. And their versatility to rotate in and out of looks is just awesome. But that's where I'm glad you brought up the man stuff, the man coverage stuff, because I remember last year's Super Bowl, because it happened right at us, 
was uh, <laughs> we're in the end zone, uh, was that the Eagles started spamming all the QB runs with Hurts. Yes. They would go empty. And actually led to the fumble. It, it, it was um, two of the best plays they had in the game were those empty quarterback draws. And then the fumble the that worst. was a backbreaker that may have lost them the game. Yes. Mixed bag. Yes. And it was because they were in man. And they would just be five-man boxes. So it was like as soon as Bolton got would, would get pinned, it was gone, wide open. So now they don't do that. That was the easy button for the Eagles to spam in that game. So you take that card away. We Another one is, okay, Jalen Hurts know we're, knows we're in this coverage because we don't disguise as much. Now we disguise. It's going to be a really fun test to see – Hurts his growth because I do think there's some new. He's doing some nice things throwing the ball right now. Like he uh, he wrote like it's not all perfect, but there's some identifications of coverages that the Cowboys were throwing at him that I actually thought he did a nice job. Where I was like, okay, now we're gonna go against this Chiefs team and Spax. So let's see what how he kind of answers to that, which I think is a great test. Um, but man, these these Chiefs DBs, ton of fun. Just the other flexibility aspects of the defense. We talked about this a little bit before the show, but the way they're using Leo Chanel in some of these situations yeah. where it allows them to defend the run a little bit more because they can play with different surfaces and be a little bit more flexible. I want to talk about the Chanel thing and, and again, just oh, yeah. some of the some of the unpredictability that can come with it and some of the ways that he kind of exemplifies how many different directions this Chiefs defense can go this year. Oh, yeah. Chanel, Reed, and like actually even just – Carl Loftus, yeah, like how they, how they just move all these guys around. Um, some of the blitzes the, from some of the the coverage snaps from Carl Loftus in the Miami game were some of the best things was, that they did. Good, dropping him I off know. the line of scrimmage. He he had one where he was like twenty five yards back. It was actually pretty funny to watch. Uh, their rookie number twenty seven, uh, uh, Connor. He, he using him as well, but using these guys when you have a lot of Another guys tackle, that are by versatile. the way, DB. Another one, oh, all of them. Yeah, it, oh yeah. I tweeted the one. I finally remembered which play it was. It was, it was Scott. He was going in the Dolphins game, but. Um, is that when you have all these guys, and the Ravens do this as well, but when you can d- do all these disguises and show it quarters, 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 and then rotate the cover two, and you have a nickel that can play like a deep half, that helps. But also like a guy like Chanel is they will play a 4-3 personnel, but run a 3-4 front. Yes. And that sounds, <laughs> again, but it's just a little twist of technique and everything. But how they're playing is they're giving these five-man surfaces. They're taking away zone runs from teams. They're saying, you can't get these doubles that you want. So what the counter has been, if you watch the Dolphins, you watch any of these teams, you watch the 49ers, any team that leans into zone, was we'll run pin-pull. Mm-hmm. We'll have our receiver or tight end crack down under D-end and we'll pull around. Not on Chanel. You're not, you don't have Braxton <laughs> Berrios trying to block Chanel. He is just a thumper. And so that's it's kind of almost Patriots, Patriots-like. That's, where it's, it's a like, very, very these, good comparison. Get these big bodies. No, you're not. You want this undersized tight end blocking him? Nope. He's just going to wham up, and now you can't get to the outside. So it's making the run game, which has usually been a hindrance uh, for Spag's defenses. He's taking away one of those options. You want to get in base heavy personnel? We're going to get in base heavy personnel as well, and now you can't run on us. So yeah, they, little twists with this personnel. It's been really fun. Two guys that were excellent in the Super Bowl that I think we will notice their absence potentially in this game: Nick Bolton and Dallas Goddard, both of whom are not yeah. playing. Bolton was phenomenal in the Super Bowl beyond the touchdown. Like the it was a star performance. They yeah. the the scrape exchange stuff they were doing against the quarterback runs that were not draws. We're starting to see teams around the league really lean into that well against the Eagles. Their quarterback run game has not been nearly as effective mm-hmm. this year as it was last Great year. Call. And I think the Chiefs kind of showed us what that looks like in practice in that Super Bowl. And then beyond on the other side, Dallas Goddard was incredible in that game. What he can give them as a zone answer when 
there aren't those answers before the play starts with some of those single high looks. The corner route that he hit to Goddard on the right sideline in the Super Bowl, he had another big crosser that he hit over to the left sideline. There was a play, I think, the first or second drive where there was a clear out and Goddard was sitting down in space and he found him. Like that middle of the field answer against some of these zone looks, not having him in there, that matters. Mm-hmm. Like he, I, he showed up in such a big way in that game. And I think because of what AJ Brown is and what Devontae Smith has been in stretches, even if it's been sort of a down year, I think we forget just how important Dallas Goddard is to the overall recipe of what the offense is. And I think in this game specifically, there's a chance that that absence really shines through. That, that play we talked about after a couple of weeks ago when we were like, oh, they're running that play again. I call it cram, which is AJ Brown underneath and then Dallas Goddard running the corner is I think their best play, their best two-man concept. That is their go-to play because that has answers. One of those answers has two guys that can win against anything. <laughs> so And they have reads off of it that they do as well. But Goddard wins against that, against outside leverage, against the Cowboys and man. But if you take that away, kind of just takes away some of that venom that that play has. And it's like, still, you have A.J. Brown. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. And we can you know make this work with our guy Zacchaeus or, or somebody else. We can make it work. But it's just that now it just doesn't have that same thing as a top five tight end in the league. Also, the other thing I'm really I, I, I'm interested in this game is like how the Eagles, like Stoutman versus Spags is going to be very interesting, the offensive line coach for the Eagles. But how the Eagles trust their running backs, that's been a thing in protection for the last couple of years. So now do you trust these guys to really sort stuff out against a, a, a defense that's going to throw everything at you and really test it and really poke you and try and figure that out. So that's something else I'm watching as well. The other thing I want to mention before we moved on, just looking back at that game in the Super Bowl, but also the way he play, he's played this season. Jalen Hurts was really good last year. The amount of high-level throws he has had this season, it's been pretty ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. He has had some eye-popping like highlight throws this year. Like If you look at big-time throw rate, all that kind of stuff, the numbers align with what we've seen from him so far this year. So that's just one slight difference between what this Eagles passing game has looked like, even compared yeah. to last year, is like the splash plays, I think, yeah. have been even more impressive from both him and the receivers than they even were last year when they were dunking on people. Yeah, I actually, it's funny you say dunking on people. I was going to say, I think my NBA comparison for Jalen Hurts is Sean Kemp. I, I think I just figured it like that's what it is. He's, all he does is just dunk on people and point at them. Like that, that is his offense. It's go balls, deep balls, and running over people. Also, one quick rant. Zacchaeus, 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 whatever it is. Uh, NFL teams will gr- trade day two picks for Ch- Chase Claypool rather than just pay a guy who is loads better, loads more efficient, <laughs> loads better at all the things that pay people pay Chase Claypool and trade for to do. And they pay him a million dollars and he's a better player. Just scout a little bit. And like the Eagles, I got to commend their staff and Howie Roseman, but their pro scouting staff, like they find these guys because they actually put in the work. They, they actually like look at stats and they watch these guys and go, hey, only good thing, things happen when we throw this guy the ball. And guess what? It's still happening. So just want to go to a quick little rant about laziness and pro scouting staffs. If you, if you look at some numbers from last year, okay, EPA per target, Dallas Scott was number one in the league among players of 50 yes. targets. He was number one. Zacchaeus was 21st. It was 21st in the NFL, just behind Terry McLaurin. And so he, when he was thrown, and some of that is attention and everything else. There's a lot of context that goes into that number. Usage, all that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you got guys like secondary receivers for the Lions are also up there. But he was a guy that when he was throwing the ball last season was pretty effective. So only good plays. I know. And it was one of those where I looked at all, I saw all those numbers. I was like, who is this guy? I'm going to watch it. Okay. And then watch it with the Falcons. I'm like, yeah. Every ball, every time he gets the ball, it's like a first down. It's like he doesn't have. I don't think he had a drop ball last year either. Like it was like, yeah, I don't know. 
Just just watch well. Just pay a little bit of attention. You get these guys for a million bucks. He'll play 20 snaps for you. It's great. All right, we go from two teams that are playing at a pretty high level and are uh, clear contenders to a team that is has been frustrating uh, right now over the last couple of weeks, and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. We wanted to go under the hood on the Jags' offense and what is ailing the Jaguars at this stage. And obviously, the 49ers game was kind of a low point for them offensively, but there have been some things that have crept up even before that game started. So when you went back and studied the Jags' offense, what do you think is the number one issue that is plaguing them right now? Uh, I would say inconsistencies in a run game is one thing, but that is, I don't know if that's a bug or a feature of this offense. And I think what they lean into, I would say the thing that I didn't realize would be such a, a domino effect uh, uh, on this offense would be the loss of Zay Jones and his injury and exposing how fragile the personnel is on this pass in this passing game. Uh, they don't have a Z now. And uh, usually it's like, oh, whatever. You just lean into the other guys. But how this offense works and it's way more truly progression and scheme based, meaning it's truly one to two to three as opposed to matchup based. I think that is now a hindrance when not all the guys are valuable. So you have don't have a Z. Evan Ingram can only be used to be in a certain used in a certain way, usually on the move, underneath. Christian Kirk has to be used in the slot. He is a true slot only guy. He is a negative player on the outside. So Calvin Ridley has to work off of that. And then now you have Jamal Agnew out there. And now you have other tight ends that if you want, okay, you don't have that bruising tight end that could be a positive player as well. So, okay, if I want to call a play, let's put Ingram with Ridley on the same side. Great. Now you have Ingram on a route that's static or underneath that's not on the move or Ridley is because if you want to create a high low. Okay. The other side is Christian Kirk who has to be in the slot now because he's a slot only guy and the next receiver has to be on the outside. So that's Jamal Agnew. So you see just the trickle-down effect that this offense that tries to be very much a lot of crossing routes, a lot of mesh, a lot of stuff that works off each other, one to two to three. All the guys are live as opposed to, hey, a guy like Calvin Ridley might might be our best one-on-one guy. Let's just spam him for 15, 20 targets. And I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think that would help this offense get their easy buttons by just focusing on the matchups they do have as opposed to maybe the schematic answer that they do have. You mentioned the rushing success. I mean, they've been one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL in terms of success rate. That's been a consistent issue for them. And my one of the things that really creeps up is that they just haven't been able to push the ball downfield at all. Yeah. And I don't know what the real reason for that is. I think it's twofold. One, I think they're concerned with the pass protection. I think that is something that has been at front of mind for them this year with a rookie right tackle and with some moving pieces on the interior. And obviously they were out without Cam Robinson for the first few games of the season. So if you look at some of the numbers, they are 25th in the percentage of their throws that go 10 plus yards in the air. They are 26th in air yards per attempt. And I think one of the issues that's come along with that is that now teams are just squatting on stuff Mm -hmm. like there. It feels so condensed because teams know they're not trying to push the ball downfield. Even if you look at the way the teams are playing Calvin Ridley when he's lined up to the outside, he's getting a ton of press coverage. It just all feels very condensed. And so you combine that with a quarterback who I think is feeling a little bit uneasy in the pocket, even with that tendency to get rid of the ball quickly. And it reminds me a little bit, just some of those issues kind of combining, of watching last year's Chargers team where the quarterback is trying to get rid of the ball fast. He's trying to mitigate some of the pass protection issues, but that just makes the offense feel even more condensed and tight. And so it all starts just to cascade and lead to the type of performance that we saw last week against the Niners. And that's my issue is that 
if that's going to be the case where it all gets tighter and tighter and tighter, I don't know where the issues, where the solutions are if you're not trying to push the ball. And if you can't feel like you can hold up, is it harder to push the ball? <laughs> and that's what I, it feels to me that they got to it in the second half against the 49ers, but it was the, those shot plays and pushing the ball, but it was like too little, too late. Yeah. It was 20 to three at that point. And that's what's like, okay, try that in the first half. I, I think the, the, I, being that hyper aware of like, oh, our offensive line can't hold up, especially against the 49ers. I don't know. I watched some of these other teams. I watched the Texans early in this year doing some stuff, drawing up some shot plays and creating and be able to wad it up and move the pocket. That, that's what and, I want to see is that let's yeah. scheme up some shot plays. Let's, yes. mo- let's move the pocket. Let's move use some the play pocket. action. And the movement with that element of it, where you're trying to create those shot plays in the way that a team like the Texans does or some of these other teams, that is one element that I'd like to see. I want to see more movement, period. I want to see more motion. I want to see more stacks and bunches. I just want to see the offense be a little bit less static even before the snap because I feel like they're just letting Calvin Ridley go out there and play X and run a bunch of go routes and hitches. And so far, that just hasn't been working as part of the rest of the offense. Like I would just like to see them try to create a little bit more separation for Mm -hmm. some of these guys because that's just not happening right now. Uh, I think think they have tons of bunch of stacks. It's the... the that go ball nature, I think what you say with Ridley, I, I was looking at the, some of the routes that they've run against man or a time he's been targeted against man. And it's all go balls and hitches. So I looked, yeah, I was like, it. okay. And I remember it truly is. It, he's had one target against man coverage between the, uh, between the numbers this entire year. One, one, two, right on the numbers. All the rest are goes and hitches. And, and you can see when you look at the target map, you don't have to know football that much. You'd be like, that's a lot on the outside. It's like, yeah. And then you look at it at the Falcons. How I remember with the Falcons, there's a lot of out routes, mm-hmm. a lot of like burst routes where it's like using stems, using movement, really an X, an X receiver that you isolate. And then you work with the running back on a check down. You go to three by one, you take that quarters matchup and they got to it against the Bills. And it was like, yeah, there you go. Use it. Take advantage of that. But for a team that's struggling, like you said, to push the ball, to create breathing room, that's your easy button to create breathing room. That's a way to spam one matchup and get those five easy completions. So I just think that they, they're overthinking and saying like, well, they run this coverage, so we have to run this call as opposed to just going like, hey, our dude is better. Sometimes you just have to do that. And I think they need it more than other teams do right now. And the other, uh, like you said, the goes and the hitches, it's crazy. He's at the top of the league in both of those. And if you look at he's the He's a tar- route runner. And he, <laughs> does, he, and he doesn't run routes. All he's no. doing is that stuff outside the numbers. If you look no. at what he was doing in Atlanta – in like 2020, the last time yeah. I saw him, and I know it was a long time ago, he was near the top of the league in the amount of in-breaking routes and slants that he was running. It doesn't have yes. to be just that, but no, no. the threat of it, I think him running some of that stuff from those X alignments would just give so much more of a threat to yep. anything that you could do. It just, it just feels like teams understand what he's going to do from those alignments, and it's very easy to kind of glove up and attack what those are. And I think it's made yeah. it's it's allowed it's forced them to really struggle this year. So nice. I think that's definitely something to keep in mind. And I also just think that the other thing that's being that's been an issue is that I think Trevor is really starting to feel the lack of pass protection. And when I say that, he's been really good at mitigating sacks for the most part in his career. I mean, if you look at pressure to sack numbers, everything, mm-hmm. he was elite last year. He's been very, very good at that. Even as a rookie when he was struggling, he was very, very good at that. Now it feels like 
his tendency to kind of try to escape and pull the ball down because he doesn't trust what's there beyond his first read has become an issue. If the first read isn't there, it, the, he's getting skittish in the pocket because of how little he trusts the pass protection. And I think that's led to more sacks, and it just made the offense look worse with pressure than it ever has over the last couple of years. And I think that's been a consistent issue for them. Yeah, I think also he doesn't know where the pressure's coming from. Yeah, <laughs> it's like every guy's losing. I, uh, I also th- actually the right. I think Harrison's actually been. Nice as a rookie. Uh, the I would say this is where all the quick game, all the underneath stuff hinders it too, because then you don't have space to go into creation mode. There's not a lot of space to get into that scramble mode. I've always found that. And actually, it's because I remember it from when I was in high school. We ran a ton of quick game from shotgun. It was like, oh my God, look at this. Minnesota, they're throwing the ball in the cold. And it was when I would get into scramble mode, which wasn't much. But when I did, <laughs> it was so tight. And I never thought about it until I got older. And I was and I watched other offenses that struggled with this is – you don't have that space. Usually the best scrambles are on play action because it's everything's so down the field and there's all this space underneath. So that even creates more space, at least room, just to, okay, assess the situation and get into that mode. When you're a quick game, quick game is you got to be right. You got to be right. And if you're not, then they go into scramble mode, but you don't want to live that way because that's just guys are cutting. Guys are underneath. Guys are clamped down. There's three guys with eyes on you as you're trying to scramble. So again, the creation gets hindered as you get as you attack shorter i think that's so exactly like, right because in the in quick game if the, if the first option isn't there it just disintegrates and that's what we, that's what we've seen from and them the offensive line has quick game sets one two like ball out they think the ball's out so they're not like holding up in a deep pocket to like let you work and so yeah i think it's just all you can see why, how it's all tying together and why it's feeling this way and tight and all this and I, I do think that they have enough to be a quality unit, but it's just kind of like, wow, it's kind of crazy how the trickle down is happening and it's affecting so many areas. One of the other things, and I, this is a very, very small detail, but I think I, it, it's noticeable when you watch them. They really miss a guy like Chris Manhurts with his skill set. Their tight ends that they're trotting out there right now are, are zeros in the run game. Zeros. And it's really hurt them. Their inability mm-hmm. to find something and at that position and then all the way across the line, they just have not blocked very well in the running game. Yeah. And that's combined with kind of the boom bust feel to the way that ETN plays. And I think that's kind of led to the way their running game feels right now. Huge sliding door moment that Dane and I, I think, mentioned this during the draft during our draft show is when they took Brent Strange. I was like, why Strange and not like a guy like Tucker Craft mm-hmm. from South Dakota State? And look at how the Packers are using Tucker Craft. Spoilers is that, hey, blocking inline tight end that can get it done against defensive ends along with some plus receiving ability. And it's just one of, another kind of moment where it's like, oh, just miss it again on your personnel to just help yourselves out. You guys put a hat on a hat. And it was strange in Ingram. I never understood why they did that. So, yeah, it's been – it's frustrating. I also – we, we just talked about <laughs> we just talked about Darnell Washington. Like Darnell Washington yes, also was Darnell there. Washington. If, if they yes. wanted to bring in that's who, uh, just a, some Mercedes sort of Lewis physical Jr. force, exactly. And yeah. it's what Chris Manhurts was for them. And they've really missed that. And I don't think a blocking tight end is the biggest issue no, this but, offense is running into. But it's just one more thing that they had last year that they do not yeah. have right now. You're just taking another tool out of the box. Yeah. That's that's all that's that's doing. Yeah, I would just like to see them be a little bit more dynamic in how they're creating separation for some of these guys. Like asking Calvin Ridley just to win outside the numbers every single play, and that's his game, just doesn't feel like the right deployment. Get him moving. Even if that's what you brought him in to do, and we talked about that. Could he just be that outside the numbers dominant force within this offense? The answer seems to be no. Like it's just not what he is right now, and that's fine. 
So yeah. if that's if you concede that and you say, all right, let's get guys on the move a little bit more and let's try to have him off the line of scrimmage a little bit more often. That's difficult because of the way you need to use Christian Kirk, but it just right. does it does feel like there are other pathways to just sticking him outside the numbers and saying, I just need you to win on a hitch or a go. And that right yeah. now, that's way the that's the way the offense feels. Use him like a route runner, not not Mike Williams. <laughs> like that that's kind of the difference. Last thing here, this is something that we're going to start doing over the back half of the season. Some of these teams that are out of the playoff race, but we don't want to just totally forget about. And we're calling this waiting for next year. And we're going to start with the Green Bay Packers, who have three wins right now. They're outside looking in on the playoff picture, but there's so much stuff to consider with where this team is going to be starting next season. And I think it begins with the quarterback and what his future ultimately looks like. So let's just have a real honest conversation right now about where you think Jordan Love is halfway into his first year as a starter. How do you feel about the way that he has played so far and what that could ultimately mean for his future in Green Bay? I, I think it helps that I'm coming off probably his best game Yes, uh, against the Sailors, so that does help. I do think they're, the signs I am seeing are worth giving more lane to try and work out because not only does he have traits and throwing the ball – and, and obviously the physical stuff and all that. I think mentally he's seeing the game very well. Um, I will say that uh, as far as processing and everything, like the Steelers aren't an easy matchup. Like they do some stuff, they mess with you. And there's only maybe once where I thought he went to a place with the ball that he shouldn't have. I think sometimes his pocket movement can be like he's doing, he's on the moon. Like it looks more Neil Armstrong than Tom Brady <laughs> and that he feels more very just bouncy. And that can exaggerate some things. But the thing is, he has the arm talent and arm angles, sometimes a little too much so. Like he is definitely trying to take the title belt for Matthew Stafford for trick shots only. <laughs> and he really is. And then he gets away with them because, again, he has talent. But I think he almost can make it easier on himself. I, though, I've seen flashes in some games. There hasn't been consistency. This team is so young, so young. And I was excited about a lot of it. But it's a reminder. It is hard to build off first and second year players only and not have a ton of vets you can lean on. I do think Love, though, has had signs and has seen the game that I'm like, hey, I would keep working with this and give them more leeway. And contract-wise, it makes sense as well. So, And also, they might end up with the draft. So I really do think that this is uh, an experiment to keep, keep experimenting with. I, I really think the Jordan Love experiment is worth keeping to work with. There's some really good flashes last week. And yeah. I, I, I like the way that the offense is constructed. Like, I know that people are really down on Matt LaFleur and the way that this season has gone. I came way opposite. <laughs> I, I, I watched the offense and I'm kind of like, yeah, I, this is good. Like, mm-hmm. this is good stuff. Like, the, the players themselves, there's a lot to be desired right now. One, because they're injured at key spots, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not having Bakhtiari and some of the injuries they dealt with on the offensive line has been a consistent issue. And you look at the receiver room and it's like, these guys are young. Like Dontavian Wicks running routes at the wrong depth or some of the stuff that you're seeing from some of the other guys. And Christian Watson has been disappointing. Like I watch him play right now and he's just been, has not been the sort of factor that people thought he might be coming into the season. So you're left with a guy in his second year. That's not nearly the force he was as a rookie and a lot of other guys in their first year, an offensive line that's young with a lot of moving pieces. I I just think that that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a lot of inexperience 
but was still an offensive coach and an offensive play caller that is really trying to put these guys in good spots and I think has succeeded to a certain degree. Like I, I just feel like this is a year where a lot of it has gone bad in the wrong moments, fed turnovers yeah. in the wrong moments, but I think there's still stuff to build on. And I'm with you. I think that if it keeps going at this pace and we see flashes like we saw from him last week consistently over the second half of the year, yeah. it's got like a $7 million cap it next year. Just, just feel it out and see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I also know just like what, Okay, other avenues in free agency or like, oh, is really like a Cousins or a Tannehill or something of that sort really going to help you? Or is it, uh, it where they might end up in the draft? Let's say they end up like pick 12, you know, pick 12 overall. They're not, might not really a quarterback three at, to me at this point in time that I see as an upgrade right now, just my plain eyes of Jordan Love and what I've seen from him as I would consider almost like a prospect and just watching him. But wait, I mean, the receiver room, it's a second year player, second year player, rookie, a rookie and a rookie. Yeah. And t- tight end room, rookie, 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 or yeah, rookie. So it's just, yeah, those are what he's thrown to. And that's why they've had so many ups and downs, but the ups were way more consistent against the Steelers where it didn't look like a lot of botched plays. And it was just like, there's, you could just see, just see LaFleur sometimes just be like, I don't know what to say, guys. Like, I don't know what to say. Like he doesn't, cause he doesn't want to blame his players. And he, but he's like trying to like hint, like, they're screwing up. Like, you know, like he's trying to say it. It's, but they're young. We talk about just having one rookie is always like, man, you know, he's really coming along. He's had some busts. They five of them. Just, he has to throw and to. And they, so. they knew that coming in. They, they did. They, they knew that there were going to be I might some have waved moments. it away a little too much. And that's why I'm like, this is a great reminder how hard it is to build off just youth. And they, they knew it was going to be a slog at times this year yep. because of how much they were going to be throwing those guys to the fire. Like is oh, yeah. excited as you might be about Luke Musgrave and what his skill set could bring over He's the long run. End. It's a rookie tight end that really wasn't asked to do as much of this kind of stuff at Oregon State. Like no. he was their number one receiver no. during yeah. his last year there. That's what he was. So asking yeah. him to be an inline tight end and everything that comes along with that, I think it's important to remember how much of an outlier Sam Laporta is in right. the data set of rookie tight ends and what they typically look like. They like even with Kincaid and Laporta, they're like, "Hey, you're basically a receiver only." And then, okay, now we're going to use you as a blocker. With Musgrave, they're like, "You got it all. <laughs> Run all down the field on a shot play. Run a choice route. Okay, now you're blocking a D end. Like it was that's that's what they asked them to do. He had, he was had to block Byron Young like one on one, like time over time. But they're trying to they're trying to get more growth and quicker growth and more substantial uh, more substantial growth over time because they're just asking him to do real things. So. I understand why it's just going to look uneven. Yeah, I, I still have optimism about what, even if the Jordan Love thing doesn't work out, I think that the the environment, the offensive environment mm-hmm. created by Matt LaFleur and what this in this offense specifically, I still feel optimistic about in the long term, even if yeah. this year has been a little bit underwhelming. So I think right. that rolling with the core you have offensively into next year makes a lot of sense. Yep. On the other side of the ball, I think we have to ask some real questions about this thing, what this thing looks like moving forward because there isn't youth on that side of the ball. They've invested a ton of resources on that defense, whether it be draft picks, the price tag for some of these guys. That's where it feels like we might see some, we might see some substantial changes heading into next season. Yeah, it's just the same issues. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same stuff again. I mean, same that, stuff. Yeah, it's a, the run game. They lose in the run game the exact same way. Someone's not in one gap, and it's a gash. It, that it's just over and over. It's the same exact stuff. So that's why it's like, all right, enough. <laughs> like the other ones, I can make argument for young players. Okay, we're working out some new stuff. This one's like these are mostly the same players with a lot of investment, and I'm not seeing any impact play. 
like play that you're like, oh yeah, that's going to be a future needle mover. Some flashes, but it's like, okay, where's the growth happening with this? Because it's just the same mistakes. It's interesting because they they were so rebuilding on the offensive side of the ball, but on defense, they've invested in so many of these guys and like heavily invested in them. If you look at some of these cap hits next year, Kenny Clark is a $27.5 million cap hit next year. Jair Alexander is at 24 million. Bakhtiari is at 40.5, which is that's an entirely different conversation. So I'll be curious what sort of tweaks we see to the defensive personnel heading into next year. Because it feels like this idea of, ah, the defense is set, like they've got all this talent yeah. over there. That that's come and gone. Like that conversation yeah. is over. So how many of these guys they retain and what the core ends up looking like, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. Is Kenny Clark back? At making $27.5 million next year? Is Preston Smith back on a pretty big cap hit? Do they move on from either of those guys to try to trim some money? And who is coordinating this defense? So like, what the yep. changes look like to both the personnel and the approach defensively, I think becomes the biggest question if we both land on Jordan Love probably being the right answer at quarterback yep. or the best answer at quarterback heading into next year. Yep, I, I think the defense needs a reshuffling. It just has to. It's uh, again, it's the same mistakes. What's the definition of insanity? <laughs> you know, that's 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 how I feel right now. I, I do think, like when I watch like a Kenny Clark, though, I do think sometimes he his rogueness and uh, desire to make a big play will hinder sometimes with the defense. And again, I'm wondering, like, is that called or is that him allowed to do that way? And that's another thing that you have to discern with this. So. Get both out. <laughs> we'll be doing this a decent amount here over the second half of the year, kind of doing those forward-looking bits about some of these teams that are out of it. I think it's important to just not forget that these teams exist and, be, right. and just not talk about them until 2024. So that's kind of the idea. We will be revisiting that. It is time, though, for Win My Fourth Screen. Every week, we solicit arguments for which game belongs on my fourth TV during the early slate. The sadder and more desperate the argument or the game, the better. This one is from Ryan Bream. He says, hey, Robert, I want to take you on a journey to 2000. I'm 10 years old and start watching football with my dad and older brothers. It's a rite of passage with one rule. You pick a team and they're your team. Growing up in rural Nebraska, most of my friends are Broncos or Chiefs fans, but I want to be different. Dad is a Packers fan. Older brothers are Patriots and Cowboys fans. But again, I'm determined to be different. I look at this Florida team with the cool jerseys lighting up the league and I say, yep, I'm a Jags fan. Said a 10-year-old Ryan, not knowing he's doomed himself to 20 years of really enjoying mock drafts. Uh. <laughs> Fast forward to 2021 and we finally did it. Football Jesus, except he's blonde. Oh, wait, we hired a coach who is an abject clown and cares only about his own clout. But now we've got a Super Bowl winner, an offensive and quarterback guru expected to be an expert play caller and innovator to bring Trevor Lawrence to the highest heights. A lot of optimism, a surprise playoff berth, a legendary comeback, and a heartbreaking loss to the soon-to-be world champs. And now, is the, now there's the 23-24 Jags. The offense is ass. Nate is pumping me up, pointing out Trevor's expert ball placement, but everyone ignores how bad the offensive line is until this last weekend when Mina got some data on it. We have a brutal remaining schedule. This is one of our last easy games, and you just know, you know Derrick Henry is going to stomp on our asses one last time before riding into the sunset. I just know that last year was a blip. The Titans are going to take the lead in the South and put us in position to fight for a wild card spot. The Cardiac Cats are pretenders again, and I just start diving. I'm going to start driving into the draft again. It's Groundhog Day. The Jags are doomed. Football hates me. Man, that's a, that's a tough one to have be able that's to pick any one. team as a rural Nebraska resident and then land on a team that has struggled as much as the Jags is a tough one. Uh, I need one thing just moving forward. I need more responses for the fourth screen. I need I need more from you guys. I know it's midseason lull. I know that, yeah. but I just need a couple more 
each week because we can. There's really a lot of sadness going on. We can really tap into some of this. So some good sadness. Yeah, I I need a little bit more from you guys. That's all. Okay, it's time for Tyson's touts. Quick wins league uh, yeah. update. Uh, I went zero and four last week. Oof. Absolutely brutal. Absolutely yeah. brutal. You went two and two, so you are now in the lead again. You were thirty and seventeen on the year. Should have been four and zero. Oh. They got yeah. Yeah, no, what's two and two? I am 28 and 18, so I am a game and a half back with my 0 and 4 week. Big week this week, though. Eagles Huge Chiefs week. is a swing game, so yes. that is potentially a monster one. We got a lot mm-hmm. at stake. You were 3 and 0 with your picks last week, so lay it on me. What do you got for us this week? Uh, this week, uh, I'm going with actually your hometown team. Oh, God. Bear down Chicago Bears. Justin Fields is back. Why not? I do think this defense is playing better. They're, They're playing plus much better. Half. Yes, they're plus seven and a half at the Lions. I, uh, yes, it, even before the the sweat trade and everything, I just do really think that like maybe it's Jack Sanborn, but I, I do think they're 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 showing signs of life, and I think the offense is you know coming together. Offensive lines playing better. We'll see how Fields does. So I think they can at least keep it somewhat close against a good Lions team. Um, the other one, they're going to beat by thirty. Th- it's just inevitable now. Yeah, I know, right? I just jinxed them so hard. Uh, and then here's another one: Cowboys minus ten and a half at the Panthers. Uh yeah. Just it's Cowboys defense versus Panthers offense. That's the. Bad. I can't believe that game is ten and a half. I can't. Yeah. I can't believe it. That Which seems dangerous. Stinks. I know. That's what makes me want to swing to the other side. But I'm not. I'm gonna finally. I'm gonna finally bet the Cowboys, and it's not gonna work out. It's not gonna be great. Next one, because I. Oh, this one feels bad. I feel bad about this one. This one's just. I don't know whose sadness I'm picking on more here, but I'm going Jets plus seven at Bills. Oh just, my god. I, I just because I could either if, I could see a lot happening in Buffalo. If so. the Bills lose to jo- to Zach Wilson this week, I, I the, the amount of panic just, that we're going to see. I'm just seeing a scrap together win from the Bills, but I know Josh Allen has issues against that Jets defense. He does. That's his one bogey team, and then it's a new offensive coordinator. I know it's Joe Brady. Get ready for choice routes. That's that's what he loves. And but I just you know I think Jets might keep it close. I don't think their offense is good, but the Bills defense is good. So. That's what I'm going with. Wow. It, there's a lot of potential disappointment that you're setting us, yourself up for here. I, I mean, the Cowboys not covering is one thing, but like a Cowboys yeah. loss to this Panthers team almost feels too right after the it way does, that everyone's it? been talking about Dak this week. Every it almost feels too up. right. I, I still think they're going to blow them out. I really do. But the Jets-Bills game, there are so many different things on the table in that game. I, I should stay away from it, but... I kind of was like, I, I, I don't know. Just lean into this it, one. Man. Just lean into it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that is all we got for this week. Really appreciate you guys listening. Can you, can you guys do me a favor? It's almost Thanksgiving. We're halfway into the year. If you've liked the show, go leave us a review on Apple. If yeah. you've been a longtime listener and you've never uh, expressed how you feel about the show or, or left a review, j- just take 30 seconds. Go leave it for us. I would sincerely appreciate that. That is all we've got for right now. We will be back on Sunday nights, recapping all things week 11 huge thursday night game we'll be doing our normal live recap for Bengals ravens on our youtube channel you can listen to that read watch that on friday morning if you don't catch it live so highly encourage you guys to go check that out for now that is all we got sincerely appreciate you guys listening we'll talk to you later this was the athletic football show